Well, good evening, friends. If you have your Bible, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll go back into that. All right, let's pray. Father, you've entrusted the preaching of your gospel, the gift of grace, and I pray that you would take this time and this effort, this feeble attempt on my part to make much of the joy and the truth that's found in the gospel. And God, can we see salvation tonight? Would you draw people to Jesus and convict of sin that they might enter into life, life that, that you meant? Would you convict of sin and cause those who've made some type of decision for you in the past and maybe have wandered off to repent and come home? I mean, you cause those of us who love you with everything that we know how to, would you cause the gospel to become anew to us again? That it would cause us to love you even more deeply than we already do? God, we want to see you do great things. We want to hear your truth. And so, God, I pray you would speak and help us be teachable. God, we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's start at verse 17. We'll continue through where we're going to go with tonight. And then we're going to get Ephesians 2, just like a page back from your Bibles. Paul says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assume, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Pretty much, friends, all he's describing is life before Jesus and then life after. And there should be a difference. There's this word that I think is often overlooked, and it's an old school word, and it's actually, it's actually what Jesus preached. One of the first messages recorded in the book of Mark of what Jesus actually preached. It wasn't, hey, God loves you, has a plan for your life. He actually just said this, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The first word he throws out is repent. Guys, you know what that word means? It doesn't mean to say, I'm sorry. To repent means I'm going one direction. To repent means I turn around and I go away from and towards something. To repent means to turn from sin and turn to Christ. And when he says, hey, there should be this difference. What we're seeing here that we've talked about this morning and what sin is, it's like, but that's not what you've learned in Jesus. See, when you came to Christ, it wasn't this. It wasn't this old message. It's this new message. You're being made new. 
And so, follower of Christ, I'm asking you, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you see that life in you? Is that the life that you're leading? Because as I kind of mentioned earlier, and I was talking to the counselors earlier in our meeting, friends, it's not just about getting saved, because that's not what we're actually called to do. When Jesus went out and he looked at people, and he, and he picked some of the disciples, and he would say this, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. I want you to, I want you to take everything you have. I want you to I want you to sell it, and I want you to give everything you have to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. The invitation is to be a follower. In the Great Commission, we're supposed to go make disciples. Disciples, another word for disciples, a literal word for it, is learners or students or followers. We take our, we take our, the example that we follow is Jesus, and we follow him. And so there's no way that I can keep facing sin and say that I'm a follower of Jesus. Guys, did you, did you guys play follow the leader when you were younger? You have, I don't know if it still went on, but that was like our game back in the day. That hungry, hungry hippo. Like, that's what we played. And so follow, you guys played it? Okay. It's, there's pretty much one rule, right? Follow the leader. And he's like, oh, whoa, we should try that. Is there an app? There's not an app for it. You have to get off the couch and go follow the leader. Did any of you guys have that person that was always, always the leader? Unless that was you, and I'm not trying to make fun of you, but they're like, we're going to play, who's following? I'm the leader. We know. It's that way every single time. And so I remember, we, I was at a tiny little Christian school, and there were two yard, yard people. <laughs> I felt like they were, they were like, I don't know, prison guards. That's what it felt like. There was Margie, and she was super nice. No, that was, that was Ellen. Margie, she was not the nice one. It's like she didn't like children. I always pictured her like at home, like a pirate. She's like, I can't stand no kid. <laughs> and she, I always pictured the lip, and I pictured just like, I don't know, seeing babies and throwing stuff. And it's like, she just didn't seem like a happy woman. And for some reason, they didn't like us playing follow a leader. And so we always had to be, pretend like we're Navy SEALs. So here's some, here's some third graders out in the yard. We're all watching. We could get away with it with Ellen, but not with Margie. And so we'd watch from Margie. And she's going, she's going, she's going, she's going around. Go, 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 go. And then we felt like rebels. This is us Christian school brats. We'd go up the wrong way of the slide. <laughs> but you got to get there before Margie comes out and whoever, you're dead. It was the same thing. Do this. I mean, it's the same thing. It's, and it would last all of recess. Can you imagine as a third or fourth grader, it's like, hey, who wants to play follow leader? I'm leader, I know. And then I take a seat. I just sit down. Ryan, you playing? Yeah, I'm playing. I'm playing in my mind. I'm undefeated in my mind. Like the things you do, I do better in my mind. I'm not going to actually do the things and follow. I'm not going to do the rules. I'm not going to follow the leader. But in my mind, I am. But you're not going to see my actions. Nobody's going to know I'm playing the game. But in my mind, champion. Imagine as a fourth grader looking, you can't play like that. All of a sudden, this revolt starts. I divide the school. Some paint their faces blue like Braveheart. We're going to have a battle in the sandbox. <laughs> That's right. Freedom. And we think of that example. We go, well, that's dumb. I mean, that's dumb. You can't, you can't play follow the leader if you're not following the leader. Then can I ask a question? 
For those of you who say that you're following the leader, but you're not following Jesus, how's it any different? I follow Jesus in my mind. But is that really what he invited us to? Oh, Brian, don't get all judgmental. I'm not. I'm just asking. He said, maybe, Brian, I'm a Christian. I'm just not practicing. That's like me saying I'm married. I'm just not practicing. There's no difference. It's not on one minute and off the, mo- the next moment so I can have what it is that I actually want. Friends, when we recognize the value of the one who invited us to know him, to follow him, not just to know about him, the value of God who invites us into relationship with himself, knowing that we have nothing that we can offer to him, of goodness in and of ourselves because we are sinful to the core. And while we were still enemies, Christ came and died for us. He paid the price. That when he calls us to follow, we recognize the value of the one who called me. This is my predicament. I'm I'm toast. I'm dead in sin. I can't save myself, yet you want me. And to hear God say, I want every part of you. And I love you enough to not leave you the same. I want to make you look as much like my son as possible. And we say, yeah, I'll follow. And I'll repent from sin and turn to follow Jesus. Why? Because he's worth it. He's worth it. Go back a page to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Friends, for those of you that don't, that you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm, please understand this comes from a heart of love. But I feel like a lot of times, one of the things that holds people back from wanting to follow Jesus is, I don't want to be bound. I don't want to do, do what this God says. I want to be free. But when we look into the pages of the scriptures, it's not that you're free. You're just in bondage and you think that you're free. Guys, you're not free. You're just following what everybody else is doing. And so it's not freedom. He goes on, listen to verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Isn't that a great verse? Guys, I just want to leave you with that. God bless you. Have a great night. By nature, we're children of wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. See, I don't like that part of God. I think we do if we think through it. Guys, do you realize that Hundreds of thousands of children around the world are sold into sex trafficking. Mostly by men who want to take advantage of them and their innocence so that they can make a buck. And are you telling me that you don't want God to show justice? Friends, if God does not show justice, if God is not just and he does not punish that, then is he loving? No. We don't like this if it applies to us, but we definitely want it to the person who hurt us. We always want it with that person. God, get them. I'm good, but them. But I want mercy, but God, jack off their face. 
Guys, this verse still makes the gospel so beautiful. Let me read it again. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then the first two words of verse 4, but God. Guys, you know how often that, that phrase, but God, is brought up in the scriptures and how it always shows God intervening and doing something because of what's going on, the present situation, but God. What seems impossible, but God. Friends, this is, this is the beauty of the gospel. There's so much power in it. Yes, God is love and grace and mercy and joy, all those things, but God is powerful. And the fact that he did this for us, not because he needs us. And maybe for some, he said, they go, wait, 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 what do you mean he doesn't need us? My mama always said that he needed me. Mama was wrong. Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been completely content in and of itself, in and of themselves. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, fully God, and yet separate what one. He said, they go, that doesn't make any sense. I know, doesn't that make God worshipful? Guys, if he made sense to us, why would we give up our lives for him? But God, he didn't have to. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. That's the difference. He's not codependent, but he desires us. Now watch what it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The immeasurable, like his grace is immeasurable. And he wants to show it to us in kindness. So if I ask the question again, hey, show of hands, how many believe that God loves you without a shadow of a doubt? And how many believe that God likes you? This immeasurable grace, right? To actually know, like, at a boy, at a girl, like, you're, it's the favor of God. You're living in relationship with him. And he wants to show grace. He never tires of it. And then we get to those verses that maybe, has anybody here gone through Awana? You guys have Awana at your church? You guys learn like 65,000 verses by the time you're six? It's crazy. It's awesome. And here it is. Ready? For by grace you have been saved. Guys, remember that story of the lifeguards this morning? They were completely helpless. The ocean was sucking them out to eat them. And they were saved. They had nothing to offer the lifeguards. And they were saved. Guys, that's what this is like. For by grace you have been saved through faith. You know what faith is? If you describe faith, I feel like a lot of people say faith is just belief. It's more than belief. I'd say that almost everyone in here is, is you, you're showing faith right now. You, you're sitting in your chair. Because you walked up to that chair and you said, this will hold me. Or maybe even think about it, it's like, nah, of course, boom, you sat down. Has anyone ever broken a chair by sitting on it? Yes. All the little people are like, no. I'm like, shut up. 
Guys, I don't know if there's anything a little more humiliating than that. I remember it was another beach camp out. I don't even know who I was with. I don't know why I've got to go to these beach camp outs. This is a while ago, and this, uh, I was with a, a different ministry, and they said, hey, why don't you like, come around the campfire? So I, do, and I didn't have a chair. I was just going to sit in the dirt. I don't care. And they gave me this tiny little fold-out thing. It wasn't one of the big ones. And then I was, I was like 40 pounds heavier than I am now, so I was like, I was like 280. And all of a sudden, they, they bring out this little thing, and I looked at him, and then I kind of giggled. Like, wait, really? And, but they were serious, and I was like, stop the joke. It's not funny. And they're like, no, you can have a seat. I was like, oh, I'm good. I'll stand. No, no, no. And they kept pushing it. Right? <laughs> I sat down, but I didn't have faith. I sat down, and I put my right foot down underneath it. And I'm like this. And at some point, this right leg starts to shake. I'm like, yeah, and I'm sweating. Everyone's just sitting there enjoying the fire. And I'm like, I just don't want to die. I just don't want to die. I don't want to crack my neck open. I don't so I'm, all I'm thinking about is this chair. And I just kind of handle it. It's like, well, maybe it's stronger than I think. And so I move the foot. Bam! On my back. Feet are up in the air. They're like, oh, we're so sorry. I'm like, no, you're not. You did this on purpose. No, we promise we're so sorry. And then I feel bad because it's somebody's chair. And I don't want to pay for it. No joke. They walked up with one exactly the same. <laughs> I'm like, seriously, no, this foot, you're fine. And you would think that I'd say no, but I was like, okay. Bam, on my back. Feet over the air. I'm like, I'm done. I don't want to sit ever again. I don't even trust dirt. Guys, when you, when you sat down, you had a belief it would hold you. Here's what faith is. If you had an equation for faith, I think this is it. Belief plus action equals faith. You're not saved by what you do. But what I do shows that I know that I'm saved. See, I don't work for heaven. I work because I have it. But I'm saved by faith. Faith will require me to do something. But I'm not saved by that work. It's all by grace. It's God's gift. See, faith will make me say, Jesus, you're worth it, so I'll repent from sin and turn to Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Guys, the faith that's necessary for us to enter into a relationship with God is provided by God. You don't, I don't even muster the faith up. God provides the faith necessary that I could turn to Jesus. Not by works. So no one can boast. And then there's the verse that we miss because we skip it. For we are God's workmanship. The word workmanship is better translation is masterpiece. Friends, for three chapels we've been watching these master craftsmen of their trade and how much time and precision they take. Did you realize that that's what God does for you and with you and in you? Never losing patience. We're God's workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus, which just pretty much means that we've surrendered to Jesus and received salvation. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. But it all starts with his grace. It all started because he came for us. Remember this morning, and we looked at Genesis chapter 3 for a little bit? 
And I said in Genesis chapter 3 is where it, we broke it, but in Genesis chapter 3 is where God says, this is how I'm going to fix it. And it's around verse 21 where it says, it says something like, and God uh, made them garments of skin and clothed them. It's one of my favorite verses. Why? Because here's Adam and Eve. They're, they're naked, and Adam's like, okay, this makes some clothes because we're naked and we're embarrassed, and so he finds some leaves. Because that's what you want to make clothing out of. That seems like it's comfortable as the, as the leaves start to dry out. That doesn't seem like any chafing's going to go on. Like, this is what you want to cover yourself with. And can you imagine God going, oh, that's just not cute. It doesn't say that Adam asked. It didn't say that Eve, it didn't say that Eve was cold. God initiated. God started. But the way to get skin from an animal, what do you have to do to the animal? You have to kill it. Hey, think about it. Isn't that animal that died, the first innocent, innocent thing that died, and there's the shedding of blood so that two people in their sin could be covered? And don't you see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, the story of Jesus and what he would come to do? He, being innocent, would come and take our place, shed his blood. Guys, when Jesus was in the garden, he... He's in there, and three of his disciples, especially with, with, with him, and he said, just stay here and pray. Keep watch and pray. The Bible says that he goes about a stone's throw away, and he collapses to the ground. And part of what he prays is this, Father, take, your cup for, or take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Take this cup. When he says this cup, what's he talking about? In the Old Testament, there was, there was this picture, the cup, as being the wrath of God. And so what he's saying is, Father, take your wrath from me, but not my will, your will be done. This is pretty much what he's saying, Father, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go through it. But not my will, your will be done. The Bible says he came back and his disciples were sleeping. He just asked them to pray. And he used to judge them for it. But have you ever tried to pray when, it's, when you're tired? Like, it's late, and you're like, I'm going to pray, because I'm going to be like a really spiritual person. And they always stay up all night. I'm going to do it for like, I don't know, seven minutes. And so then you make the mistake when it's cold to get into bed, and you pull up the down comforter, and you're like, yeah, this is it. But you're still trying to find the spot, so you do the wiggle. You know the wiggle? You're like, where is it? Boop, there it is. And then you pray. Oh, Jesus, I just want to thank you. Gone. And about 12 and a half hours later, you wake up and go, amen. I found the rest of the Lord. I used to judge them, and I'm like, no, I get it now. But he looks, he says, guys, I know. I know the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. You've got to pray. And there's something different about Jesus' countenance that night. And the Bible says he goes, goes away again, and he begins to pray. He prays the same thing. He comes back and they're sleeping. He goes back and he begins to pray. But friends, that's not the only thing he prayed. If you want to read what Jesus prayed in the garden, read John 17. And in John 17, there's this part in his prayer around verse 23-ish, give or take 23 or 24, I think. And he says this. He says, Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all of my glory. Guys, you realize every time that I've seen Jesus pray in the gospel account, He's always saying things like, hey, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father saying it. I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's always about, 
You, Father, you. And here he says, this is what I want. I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all of my glory. Guys, do you realize that in, in the garden, John 17 records this prayer. And do you know what Jesus wants? Us. He's praying. Father, those that you have given to me, I want them to be with me where I am and to see me in all my glory. And Luke, Dr. Luke, he's the only one that records this in the gospel account. He said, and Jesus began to sweat drops of blood. Guys, he wasn't using poetic language to say he was just really scared. Guys, there's a medical condition called hematidrosis, that when you are terrified of something enough, the capillaries in your forehead will burst, and you will sweat drops of blood. Jesus is terrified of what's coming. And then he goes back to his disciples, and they're conked out. This is what he's experiencing, because he knows what's coming. And he goes back to his disciples, and he, he kicks them, not hard, just wakes them up. He says, guys, I need you to get up. The hour's at hand. My betrayer's here. And as they look in the distance, and they're wiping their eyes so they can see, they just see this small little crew of guys showing up, and they're holding torches and lanterns, and they've got clubs and swords and... And the Bible says that Jesus walked straight towards them. And guess who's leading the way? Judas. Friends, one of the 12. One of the ones who'd heard everything Jesus had said for three years. One who'd seen him do the miraculous. One who'd walked with him, who ate with him, who slept next to him, traveled with him, lived three years with the Messiah. And yet never really surrendered. He sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Pretty, pretty good payout. Guys, you ever been betrayed by one of your closest? Jesus gets it. He understands it. And Judas comes up. Can you imagine the three? Then the other disciples are kind of gathering. Wait, is that, is that Judas? You imagine Peter getting a little mad? Judas! Oh, time to throw down. And Judas came up because he gave them a sign. He gave all the, the guards a sign. Hey, the one that I kissed on the cheek, that's the one. And when he came up, do you know what Jesus called him? Friend. He kissed him. It's almost like, friend, you betray me with a kiss? The sign of friendship? Imagine the disciples are freaking out because it's getting tense. All of a sudden, the guards move forward and they grab hold of Jesus. And the Bible says that one of the disciples pulled out a sword and hacked off a dude's ear. Just took it right off, lopped that sucker off. You know who it was? Good old Peter. Good old Simon Peter. <laughs> he got the dude's ear. And here's the thing, it's Malchus, right? Here's the thing, either, okay, either he's an incredible swordsman, he's just sitting there going, shut up. Who's next? Or he's saying, snap, ah! And maybe that's why Jesus said, oh, Peter, put it away. Put it away. 
That's embarrassing. And the Bible said that Jesus walked over to the ear and picked it up. Here's the thing. Isn't it weird when it's attached to your head? That's fine. It's been off his head for, I don't know, maybe a minute. We're like, uh, uh, uh. picks it up and heals Malchus. Don't you think at some point everyone's sitting there going, we're done. Let's leave him alone. Guys, here's the thing. They still arrest him. And all of his disciples, just like he said, took off. He's betrayed by the one. He's deserted by the rest. They take him to the courtyard of the high priest's house for a fake trial in the middle of the night, which is illegal. It was illegal according to their law. They couldn't do that, but they did it. They justified it. And along the way, and even while they were there, they'd take Jesus and they'd be slapping him and punch him in the face. And John was able to get Peter into the courtyard. And he's warming himself by the fire and a little servant girl walks up and says, you were with him. He says, no, I don't know the man. No, no, I saw you. I don't know him. Another person comes up and says, I, I know you were with him. We saw him. And your accent gives you away. And here's Simon who just hours before said, you know what? Even if all of these other ones deny you and desert you, I never will. Like if everyone takes off, I'm going with you. I'll even die for you. Isn't it amazing the same guy who said I would die for you couldn't even stay awake for him? And the same guy that said I would die for you in this third time called down curses from heaven saying I don't know the man. And Jesus said, he looked at Peter before it happened and says, you're going to be the worst one. You're going to deny even knowing me three times before the rooster crows. And right when Peter denied him the third time, the rooster crowed. The Bible says that Jesus looked straight into the eyes of Peter. It says that Peter ran away and he wept bitterly. And we don't see him mentioned again until we get later on after the resurrection. Can you imagine the shame that he was experiencing? And so finally the high priest, after getting all these fake witnesses and they're not, their stories aren't going together, he says, are you the Messiah? Just tell us. And paraphrase, Jesus pretty much says, it's as you say. And from this moment on, you're going to see the Son of Man coming with the clouds. Well, he didn't say anything about God. Guys, in the book of Daniel, what Jesus quoted, when he says the Son of Man, that's a title for God. He says the Son of Man's coming with the clouds. When high priest tears his, he tears his robe, he's like, we have nothing else. Well, let's vote. And they all vote to kill him. Blasphemy. But they can't do it, so they got to go to Pilate, the governor. So they take him, they bring him before Pilate. They say, this is what he's done. And Pilate's listening to him. He's like, okay, let me hear you. And he's hearing his, he's having a conversation with Jesus. And yet Jesus isn't saying anything. And Pilate says something like this. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you? And Jesus, this is my understanding. This is my paraphrase of it. Jesus looks at him and says, oh, Pilate, you're JV. Welcome to varsity. Like you got no play here. You got no play. This was put in place before the foundation of the world. Guys, in Ephesians chapter 1, around verse 4, it says that you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Before God said, let there be light, the plan of salvation was already in place. And it was declared in Genesis chapter 3 that this is what had to happen. It wasn't that Pilate had the authority to do anything. 
This was all under the sovereign command and rule of God who desired us. It says from that moment on, Pilate tried to get him released. So he brings him back before the religious leaders. He says, he hasn't done anything wrong. So I'll just have him flogged and then he can go. Guys, this is what flogging is. They would take Jesus and they would, there's this, there would be this uh, vertical beams. They would strip him, strip him naked. They would take leather straps around his wrist and tie it to a, high, to a high part of the beam so that his back is completely exposed. And you have two Roman guards, one on each side, each of them having what's called the cat of nine tails. Cat of nine tails, picture a stick with leather strips coming tied at one end and coming at the end. And at the end of the leather strips are pieces of glass and razor and bone and sharp rock. It becomes a claw. 39 times they would bring that across the back, from the neck down to the calves of Jesus. And friends, they were unbelievably accurate and good at what they did. That when it lands across the back of a person, they would then change the angle and they would pull. So that as the claw dug into the flesh, it would then tear open the back. So from neck to calf, here's Jesus, the creator. Jesus, the Messiah. 39 lashes, can you imagine? Is that why he sweat drops of blood? Partly, but not ultimately. Guys, picture blood just pouring out of his body. And then as he... As he's loosened and he hits the, can you imagine him collapsing? Roman guards come and pick him up and they find this purple robe and they put it on him to mock him. And then they find these thorns and they make this makeshift crown. The Bible says they placed it on his head to make sure that it stayed there. They took a rod and they smashed it into his skull. And then they would blindfold him and beat him and smack him with a rod and say, I'll prophesy who hit you. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah wrote, He was so badly marred beyond any human resemblance. And then as Jesus is standing there, five to six hundred Roman guards mock him. All hail, King of the Jews. All hail, King of the Jews. And Jesus said nothing. They bring him back before Pilate. He's trying to get him released. He goes, okay, it's always during this time I release one person. So you have Jesus or Barabbas. Jesus or the murderer. Jesus or the insurrectionist. Jesus or the terrorist. Which one? Guys, this is a church softball pitch. Like, this is obvious. Can you imagine as Pilate's jaw drops when he starts hearing Barabbas? And Jesus says nothing. And then Barabbas is released. He says, what do you want me to do with him? And then all of a sudden the chant starts. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. He signs the edict, not because he wanted to, but because the pressure of the people. And he washes his hands in front of the people, and Pilate says, his blood is on you. And they say, not just on us, on us, but on our children as well. And they took the the crossbeam of the cross, and they would place it across the shoulders of Jesus that weighs between 70 to 120 pounds. 
after being up all night, beaten by the, the temple guards, and then being beaten by the Roman guards and going through flogging, they now place 70 to 120 pounds on his back, and he embraces it and begins the 600-yard, give or take, walk to his own death, and no one had to push him. In fact, they had to make a way for him to go through the crowd. Because as he walked, people would sneak through the Roman guards and come up and pull chunks of his beard out and spit on him and slap him. And yet he kept walking. Like at some point, don't you think that maybe it's going, it's not worth it. But he kept walking. Why? Because in the garden, he said this, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am, to see me in my glory. And with each step, I wonder if he had to remind himself, I want him, I want him, I want him, I want him. And so all of a sudden he becomes too weak and he can't hold it up anymore and it collapses on top of him as he hits the ground. Guys, can you imagine 120 pounds landing straight on you? They find a guy named Simon. Get over here. Pick it up. No, I can't do it. Pick it up. And what if he picks it up off of Jesus? What if he gets ready and then he's helping Jesus up? And what, what, what would it be like if all of a sudden Jesus looked at him through one eye I want him to be with me. And Simon picks it up and starts to walk, and Jesus just kept walking. All this why, Father, I want those that you've given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all my glory. When they got to Golgotha, they would place the cross beam on the vertical beam, and then they would strip Jesus naked to shame him in front of everyone. They would take one foot, place it up over the other, and get ready for what they're about to do. They would take one arm, stretch it completely out, and drive a railroad spike between the two bones in his wrist. They would take the other arm and stretch it out as far as they could and drive a railroad spike between those two bones in his wrist. They'd then take the feet, place them up, bend up his knees, and drive a spike through both. You know what Jesus is saying? I, said it meant, I mentioned it this morning. As they are doing this, I know that when we read the scriptures, it looks like he only said it one time, but the way that it's worded in the original language means that Jesus kept saying this over and over while they're attaching him to the cross. He's saying, Father, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. And can you imagine as he's hoisted up and gravity starts to pull down on his body, the God who created gravity became too weak for it. And as they place the vertical beam in its spot, because of how he's attached to the cross, gravity would pull down on his body until his shoulders would dislocate, his elbows would dislocate. And he'd be left there. And friends, you didn't die on the cross because you bled too much. You died because you couldn't breathe. From this position as he's hanging, he can inhale, but he can't exhale. So in order to breathe out, in order to exhale, he has to push up on the spike in his foot and pull up on the ones in his wrists. And you don't have these long breaths. They'd be these shallow ones. Like, <laughs> for six hours. At noon, the sky went dark like midnight. So for all this that Jesus experiences, this is why I think the ultimate reason behind why it is that he sweat drops of blood, no. I think it was this next part. Because from the cross, as it went dark like midnight, Jesus said these words. He said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. 
He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, every other time I see Jesus pray to the Father, you know what he calls him? Father, except here. And the, and the Aramaic word for father would be Abba. You guys ever heard of that word Abba? You know what Abba means? It's like it means father. No, no, no. It means something much more personal. It means Papa or Dada. It's what a one-year-old calls dad for the first time. That's the intimacy that we are given because of Jesus, and that's what, God, that's what Jesus would cry out when he normally prayed. But in this moment, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, it's my conviction that in this moment that Jesus became what's called in the Bible the propitiation. The word propitiation means that he became the new target of the full and complete wrath of God. That what we deserve. We deserve the full and complete wrath of God. Jesus became the new target of it. That I'm convinced on the cross in that moment he experienced it all. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken by God so that we wouldn't have to be. And it wasn't too long after that. It's, it's closer to three when he's saying all this. Then he says this. Three little words. It is finished. Guys, he knows his body's about ready to be done. His heart's just pumping, trying to find any blood left in his body to circulate throughout his body. And he knows it's coming, and he just, he just screams out, it is finished. Guys, you know what that, that phrase literally means? It is finished literally means it's a banker's term. What he literally said was this, paid in full. Paid in full. All the Old Testament sacrifices prescribed in the book of Leviticus, they've been paid in full. Being made right with God, paid in full. And then Jesus, after saying, my God, my God, finishes his life, his earthly life, by saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The Bible says he breathed his last. The centurion is standing before him. The earth shook. And then the scene shifts to the temple. And in the temple, there's the holy of holy places, the most holy place. The high priest went into that place one time a year. It was thought that that's the very presence of God. You can't go in there. No one can go in there. The high priest has to do the sacrifices so we can have access to God. The Bible says that that curtain that some scholars think was 18 inches thick, that curtain was torn from top to bottom as if the Father sliced it open and said, hey, you now have access to me because it's been what? Paid in full. For by grace you've been saved through faith. By grace, not by works. And Jesus died. Why would he do it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You're like, okay, the father did that, but what about, it's like Jesus just got thrown out there. Guys, do you realize that Jesus is the one who said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down, and then he makes the prediction, and I will raise it back up again. Guys, I preach this message or this part of it. I mean, hundreds of times. This, whenever it's time to, hey, can you preach the gospel message and invite people to Jesus, it's usually something to have to do with this. Because I want you to get it. 
I want to try to convey it the most. This is the extent that Jesus went through to have us. Because I do it all the time. And so I remember at the beginning when I first started doing this, there was a kid that I really wanted to come to know Jesus. I was talking, there was a week-long camp, and I was talking, I knew he didn't know the Lord, and so it was that night, and I had an ego then. I hated, I was just such a jerk. I was like, oh, look how great I am. I'm doing so good at all these things. But I would, I would do it in such a way I'd leave kids here. Jesus has said, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart, which is such bad theology, but if you want to accept Jesus in your heart, that's what I'd say, just come forward. I liked them to come forward toward me because I felt like a savior. Could I be that honest with you? God has ripped me apart since then in such a beautiful and gracious way to get me out of that. But I remember, I, I remember he walked forward. I was like, yeah, but play it cool because I'm the pastor. I see this all the time. Greatest miracle ever. I'm good. The next day, he, called, he walks up. He goes, Brian, did you see? I said, I did. I watched. He come up. He goes, I have one question. I said, sure. He goes, what happened next? <laughs> In my head, I'm like, you little brat. How could you not know it? Oh, I didn't tell him the best part. I just left Jesus in a grave. Actually, not even that. I left Jesus on a cross. I just guilted him in. I've never forgotten the sinister story. Jesus, Jesus predicted it, and then he pulled it off. For on the third day, Jesus kicked death in the face, and he came back from the dead. And he showed that he has victory over sin and over death. And because he has victory over it, he gives us victory over it as well. That when we surrender our lives to Jesus, that sin that we said it so easily entangles us, we now have victory over it. We don't have to sin because of the power of God that is in us. Guys, he came back from the dead. All this because he loves us. And he wants us. Brian, what happens if I don't want him? I don't want to surrender to him. I want my own life. Okay. I couldn't force you if I wanted to. But all I can do is lovingly tell you the truth. That before Christ, we are by nature objects of God's wrath. That you will have to stand before God one day and answer for yourself when he asks you the question, what did you do with my son? Because that is the only question that matters. Oh, he's just trying to scare us into it. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So maybe the Bible's trying to scare you into it. Maybe God loved you that much that he would go through anything for you to get you back. Before I ask for those of you who want to surrender to Jesus, I was speaking at the lake um, many years ago. And I finished the message, and a kid came walking up. And I usually, when I, when I invite people to stand, and I usually just go sit in the back and watch. That's, I just sit back there. I don't usually sit up here. And so I, I actually came down, and I was talking to one of the lead counselors and sat down for a second talking about something. And a 15-year-old kid, 15-year-old guy comes walking up. He said, Brian, can I talk to you? I was like, starting to cry. Cry night. I said, sure. He's like, I, I just don't feel worthy. And I looked at him, and I was like, how do I say this? I was like, mm, you're not. And it, <laughs> he had his head down, and when I said you're not, he goes, <gasps> he's like, what? I said, you're not. And literally he goes, okay, thanks. And he starts to walk away. He's like, no, no, I'm not done. Come here, come here, come here, buckaroo. I don't know your name. Come here, come here. 
And I said, dude, you're not worth it. I'm going to say, you're not worthy. Wait, 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 hold on. I mixed that up for just a second. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I said, dude, I said, you're not, you're not worthy, neither am I. But Jesus on the cross is declaring to you that he thought you were worth it. We're not worthy, but he declared and screamed it out, you're worth it. Friends, you're not worthy, I'm not worthy of this. But I think that what Jesus went through is his way of saying you're worth it. He did all of that for you. Friends, what else could he do to prove to you that he loves you and that he wants you? So here's what's going to happen. We're going to go back into a time of worship. But before that, I'm going to be giving you an opportunity that maybe for some of you, you've made a decision for Christ. You want to follow Jesus and receive salvation, but you've already done it. So maybe you did it like right when you got here or was after the first night. You got into a good conversation with one of your leaders or whatever. And I want to give you the opportunity to publicly make that declaration. But here's the thing. You don't have to stand. I know it kind of kills the video idea sometimes. It's like, oh, but if they don't stand, what happens? Who cares? I'd rather go with what's biblical. You are not saved by works. But friends, I remember when I was 17, I stood up. And I remember that day. It was in August. The summer before my senior year, I stood up because I remembered. I stood up and I went, I'm all in, God. Jesus, I'm all in. And I've never forgotten that day. So when I ask for those of you who want to surrender to Jesus, if you want to stand, it's not so you can be saved. It's because you're already declaring, I believe Jesus. I confess that he's Lord of my life. That word confess in the book of Romans means to say something in such a way that your life will follow your declaration. It doesn't mean to just say some words. You don't repeat a prayer after me. You confess him as master. You believe that he died on a cross and came back from the dead. And you call out to him to save you because you can't save yourself. It is not just accept Jesus into your heart. It is not just say these words and you're golden. It is I surrender my life to the lordship of Jesus. And when you say I want to follow you, Jesus, he goes, the first gift is salvation and it's for you. And it's paid for, paid in full. And you repent from sin and you turn to Christ. So if you've done that earlier, this will be an opportunity. If you want to stand up, we just want to celebrate with you. If tonight, hearing all that Jesus did for you, just kind of got you, maybe the Holy Spirit's starting to stir something in you and convicting you of sin, and I can't save myself, and the way that this world's going, chaos. I want to turn to Jesus, and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. And so if you want to stand up in just a second, it'll be your opportunity. What will the rest of us be doing? We'll have our heads up and our eyes open. You're like, no, 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 no. Heads bowed, eyes shut. That's what we always hear, heads bowed, eyes shut. You don't want to put anyone on the spot. How is the most amazing miracle that could ever happen to a person putting them on the spot? Guys, if we can't stand for Christ, with those of us, with people around us who actually want to see it happen, there's something missing.
I, I, I remember the first time I took kids to as a, as a youth intern, a middle school intern. Took him to a camp. The guy said, bow your head, close your eyes. And I'm like, okay, but I want to know. So I start to peek. And all of a sudden, he's like, no peeking. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry, don't send me to hell, I'm sorry. I would just like to know the students that are going back home with me, I want to know if they did this or not. So, of course, I start to peek again. So you just sit there and go, if you want to accept Jesus in your heart, just raise your hand. That was it, just raise your hand. And he starts to count. Nobody gets to know over his head, bowed eyes shut. He's like, well, I see that hand. One, two, three, eight. I'm like, three to eight? You can't count. You're stupid. Eight. Oh, 15. Oh, praise. 31. 706. I'm like, there's 200 people here. Let's get to 700. The county's getting saved. The thing is, no one got to see the miraculous happen except that guy. All of heaven's having a party. Breaking up guacamole and chips. And all of God's kids are like, nope, not for me. I think Gabriel the angel is looking at God going, did you tell him? I never said that. I don't know why they do that. Friends, with every head up and every eye open, so we can celebrate with you that make, have made the decision, understanding you are not saved by if you stand, but you are rescued by Jesus when you declare him as Lord of your life, and you receive his gift of salvation, you believe he died on a cross, came back from the dead, and you say that you want to follow him, and he says, no. Yes, here's salvation, you're mine. And when you give yourself to Christ, he gives himself fully to you. And no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. You're his. So if you've made that decision or you want to make that decision now, and let us know, would you stand just so we can celebrate with you? Just stay there. Don't sit down yet. For those of you who are standing, I just want to ask you a couple questions. And if you didn't stand, it's like, Brian, I just can't. It's okay. There's no shame in this. It's called grace. This is just for those who say, I just want to remember this night on January 21st, 2023. At Hume SoCal, I stood up, and that's when I said, I want Jesus. But by standing, or for those that are making the decision to follow the Lord, are you saying that you are confessing that Jesus is master of your life? And by standing, are you saying that you believe that he died on the cross, came back from the dead? Then welcome to the family. You guys can have a seat. And maybe for others of you, you've proclaimed Christ at some point, but you actually look like you belong to hell more than to heaven. And you need to come back. You need to come back to Jesus and stop using the name of Jesus that you're not really following. And it's time to come home. Oh, Brian, that's kind of blunt. I know. Or maybe there's other people saying, I'm just broken, Brian. Our family's jacked up, or I lost a friend, or I lost a parent, or I just got diagnosed with. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm broken, and so I need God to do 
And what if tonight he's just saying, what do you want me to do for you? If you're in one of those two camps, would you stand up? I don't need to know which one it is. Either you're coming back to Jesus or I'm just broken, God. Would you meet me here? If that's you, would you stand up so we can pray for you? Stay there. I'm going to pray us out. We're going to go back into a song. And then you'll be told what to do after that. But praise God, what he's doing and what he's done. Let's pray. Father, for those who gave themselves to you, repented from sin and turned to Jesus to follow, God, thank you. God, you know their hearts. God, for those who said, I've got to come home, I've been, I've been wandering, it's time to come back. Thank you, God. God, for those who are broken, and they're just standing saying, God, would you meet me? I thank you that you will. Jesus, I thank you that you tell us, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I thank you that you will help us, you will uphold us with your righteous right hand. And now, God, as we sing this song, as we close our time, and all that has happened, and all that you'll continue to do, God, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.